If the gospel is not the way of salvation, it is not a way of salvation. And we're not just dogmatic about this, we are bull dogmatic about this. sink your teeth into scripture and get a bulldog grip on its truth? Listen on some doctrine and get bulldogmatic. Here is your host. I'm going to take that. Um, so we go, go on and we're going to see the angel of the Lord again, right? In Genesis uh, chapter 22, verses 15 through 18. Yes. Did you want me to go ahead and read that? Sure. As well? sure. Okay. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you, and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore, and your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies, and in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. And of course, he's talking there about when he takes um, Isaac up Mount Moriah. Correct? Yeah. Yeah. Which we're going to get into uh, after this, too. And so I might have misspoke before. I said, you know, I'm just going to do one instance of the angel of the Lord. But here's <laughs> I knew, another one. <laughs> I knew you could hold it to one. <laughs> yeah. Here's the other one that we're going to do. And then we're going to break down. Uh, some typology with Abraham, Isaac, Rebecca, and Eleazar. But this is the, the lead up to that. Uh, you need to be familiar with the story. And uh, we do have the angel of the Lord uh, explicitly spoken here. It's, I'm inferring it in the previous passage in Genesis 19. Mm-hmm. Um, but here's that, those things that uh, only God can say, By myself I have sworn declares Yahweh. Uh, because you have, you know, so he's going to swear by himself. And then Je- uh, Hebrews. 6 refers to this and says that since God could swear by no greater than himself, he swore by himself. He's right. referring to this because I swear by myself, I have sworn, uh, declares the Lord. This is what he's referring to. Um, so we have an angel of the Lord reference. We have God swearing by himself, by the way, is, is also the assurance of our salvation. It's God. God has sworn by himself within the gospel. The gospel is, is so sure that God could no sooner go back on it than he could contradict or lie to himself or break an oath in his own name. That's just one of the other greater things of the gospel, uh, greater aspects of the gospel. But we also see um, something we've already seen in Genesis 12, uh, in verse 17 there. He's talking about, I will surely bless you and multiply your offspring. Okay, so this is in your seed, all the earth, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And then it's expressed this way in 22. And there's actually a couple um, allusions to it in between these two. And this promise is, is spoken of throughout. And so remember, that offspring, as Paul would interpret it in the New Testament, is the seed. In your seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. I will multiply your offspring, uh, your seed. Okay. So, uh, again, that's all coming through Christ. We have that in Galatians 3, uh, but we also have the strength. There's a lot happening here. We also have the angel of the Lord, uh, which appears to be Christ all throughout. Um, he says, the angel of the Lord says that you have not, that you have obeyed my voice. God was the one who gave the command for Abraham to sacrifice his son. And so here we have uh, 
Christ appearing as the angel of the Lord. And also we have like symbolic typology of Christ through Abraham and Isaac as being the father and the son. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's something that's pretty amazing in and of itself. Exactly. Now, again, hopefully we're, we have some young Christians that uh, aren't familiar with the word typology. Can you explain that? Typology is where, that's why if you hear me talking, sometimes I'll say symbolism. This is where you, you have what theologians would say, and this is so if you're listening to them or reading them, you know what they're saying. They'll say there's a type and there's an anti-type. What that means is there's something in, usually this is an Old Testament, New Testament comparison, and there's something in the Old Testament, and that's called the type, and then there's something in the New Testament that is the fulfillment of that, that is related to that, that the type was pointing to, and they call it an anti-type. Now, that can be a little confusing, because the first thing you think of when you think of anti, you think it's of opposite. the opposite, the antichrist or something. So when we say that and I used to hear theologians say this, and I say, "Whoa, but am I listening to an heretic? Am I listening to a heretic here or something?" Because he'll say that Christ is the anti-type of something. Well, that's a good thing because we're talking about typology in the Old Testament and how Christ is the other side of that; that He's the fulfillment of that. Uh, he is, as we've talked about so far, the Ark would be a type of Christ. It is a place that you flee uh, when you are seeking refuge from judgment. Okay, and then. Christ is the fulfillment of that. He is the ultimate uh, refuge from the judgment waters of God, which he won't destroy with water again, but it's all symbolic that he is uh, the fulfillment, fulfillment of that. So type, anti-type. That's awesome. So what are we going to, how are we going to handle this next? For this, this, is, this is a lot understand. to chew on. Yeah, it is. Um, we could read, so we obviously can't read the whole passage, but what we're looking at here is Genesis chapter 24. And we're seeing, this is typology. This is, you have a type and an anti-type. But I'll usually refer to it as this person in the Old Testament. And this symbolized this fulfillment in uh, the New Testament. Old Testament uh, symbol, New Testament fulfillment of that symbol. Uh, so both Isaac and Christ were children of the promise. Uh, the, both of, uh, the birth of both was pre-announced. This is Isaac that we're keeping in mind here. Both were named before their birth. Um, the birth of both was contrary to nature. You know, explain that. The birth of both was contrary to, to nature. nature. Okay, so you have similarities, okay, because Sarah was barren, if you remember. He, she was unable to bear children. And back to that story we just read, if you go into Genesis 18, right before Sodom is destroyed, uh, the angel of the Lord tells Abraham that you will, you're getting ready to have a son. Sarah will bear a son. And of course, there's the Sarah laughs. And the, and the Lord hears it and says, you laughed. She says, no, I didn't. She says, yeah, you laughed. Okay, so she, and it was so <laughs> contrary to what they expected uh, that they would bear a child. Remember, they had gone through Hagar to try and make the promise. This is kind of like the Cain's offering of, of righteousness. It's mm -hmm. our way of making the promise come to pass. Our um, way is never the right way. Our way is not the right way. It's to wait on the promise of the Lord in right. the way that he, he says. But but the con the um, New Testament parallel to that would be that Mary was a virgin, right? So um, women that are barren. Now we see it in the scriptures a lot, so we're kind of uh, desensitized to it. But barren women normally do not ever have kids 
again, once you, you are barren, and aside from a miracle of God, which God still does, mm-hmm. I believe, uh, can make a barren woman bear a child. But it is still contrary to nature in the sense that it is not normal. And it's the same way with Mary. Well, she's a virgin. That's something that has never happened mm-hmm. except that one time. Right. And so it was, there's a similarity there in um, a miraculous birth. So we find Sarah was barren in Genesis eleven uh, thirty, and that, of course, Mary was a virgin in Matthew one eighteen through twenty. Right, right, right. Okay. Go ahead. Uh, so also, both are called an only son. Now, this is really interesting because obviously we know that Jesus is the only begotten Son of God, according to Scripture, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's really interesting that in Genesis twenty two two, um, that Isaac is called his only son, but that's what? Interesting because we have, in previous chapters, Ishmael was born before him. Mm -hmm. And so God is referring to Isaac in such a way that as far as the promise goes, as far as what God had intended, he is his only son. And so um, you can think of that another way too, because God has other sons, but there's one unique son of God. It's the same way with Isaac. You see that parallel. Um, I believe I'm a son of God through Christ. I believe you're a son of God through Christ. But we are not sons of God in the uh, full meaning of the eternal son of God. Right. We don't. We don't. We didn't share uh, eternity with Him. We can't say give. You know, give return me to the glory that we had. Right. We're actually adopted. Yeah. We're adopted into the family. Exactly. Right? We and, are adopted. And He is uh, Christ is our elder brother through adoption. Through adoption. So. Um, yeah, so that's interesting. Also, both are mocked and persecuted by their own people. Uh, if you look, um, Isaac was being persecuted by Ishmael. Okay, and so Paul makes this parallel in Galatians four about Isaac and Ishmael. And I just encourage you to look at that; it's very interesting. But that's really his his brother, and he's now it's his half brother, sure, but. His own people, he's being persecuted. Now, what happened to Jesus? He came here, and yes, we know the believers because they wrote the New Testament, and we hear about them um, believing at Pentecost. But for the most part, the majority of the Jews, um, which numbered in the millions at that time, uh, were rejecting him, and he was being scoffed and made fun of. So we see a similarity um, to Isaac there. Uh, Neither Isaac nor Christ had broken the law that they should be offered up. So when you're reading the Old Testament um, narrative, you're thinking, why? Why is God asking this? Now, we know the end of the story, but you're still, and you're supposed to. You're not, uh, it's not sacrilege to have this thought of, but but Isaac didn't do anything. Why would he be, why would he be killed by his own father? This is terrible. Again, it's supposed to be. God is asking the ultimate of, of, of Abraham that he would sacrifice his only son of promise and that he would sacrifice him, and he had done nothing. And so and we know Christ is, um, has done nothing to break the law, and we see that in Matthew 27. Um, this one's really interesting. As Isaac carried the wood on which he was to die, so Christ carried his own cross. If you mm-hmm. remember back, he's carrying uh, his wood for the sacrifice, and he says, you know, here's the wood. Um, where's the sacrifice? God will provide himself right. a lamb. Where's the lamb? God will provide himself a lamb. Um, so he's carrying his wood. And what do we know about Jesus in the passion narrative? He's carrying the cross. When he says, daughters of Jerusalem, weep not for me, weep for yourselves and for your children, for there'll come a time when they'll say to the mountains, fall upon us. And he's talking about that judgment in 70 AD that's coming. 
um, he's carrying his own cross. He's carrying his own wood, just like Isaac was. And so, you know, if you see one of these parallels, you think, oh, interesting coincidence. But when Jesus himself comes and does what he did uh, and did the things he did and was resurrected from the dead, and when he points back to the Old Testament and says, look, it's all about me, and you see hundreds of parallels, it's just overwhelming. I have a question. Uh, I don't mean to interrupt you, but Go ahead. it, it reminds me of something I, I heard a preacher say one time, and I can't remember who it was, but he said when uh, that when God provided provided the ram for the sacrifice, it was he had his horns were uh, were stuck in a thicket. Mm-hmm. Now you you're a surveyor, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, I know you carry the big. Uh, bush axe yeah. through the through the woods. Now, what? How would you describe a thicket? A thicket is something that is like a tangled mess. If you've ever fished, and this would be I could say your shoes, but it doesn't really do it justice. If you've ever fished with monofilament line and an open face reel on a windy day with line that's been on there too long, <laughs> and I don't even know what I'm getting at. If you cast it, it doesn't just come out and get a little tangled. It goes into this ball of mess and knots that you. The most master not tire could not tie, and there's really usually no choice other than to just cut it, ball it up, put it. In the does it have thorns in it? No, it you? doesn't. It doesn't. It does. But I was getting to the the thicket that would ha- that would be interwoven and intermingled would also have thorns. It would have uh, things that grab and things that you can't get out of. Uh-huh. Um, so it would just be a so a the ram thick was mess. stuck there. This this pastor alluded uh, as a reference to. Mm-hmm. To Christ now, this might be stretching right a, a little bit, but it's it's an interesting thing point, yeah. point that mm-hmm. he brought out was that a ram with his head stuck in a thicket is like a, a spotless lamb with a crown of thorns. Yeah, no, I I could buy that because you have cursed earth there, you have thorns that are on this ram uh-huh. uh, that would be a, a type of Christ. But I also say. Um, to me, the ram is supposed to leave you thinking, where is the lamb? And the reason I say that is because when, when Isaac asked his father, he said, here's the wood, where is the lamb? Mm-hmm. And, and Abraham said, God will prepare himself a lamb. But then God provides something, but it's not but a lamb, right. it's a ram. And so right. people say, well, their question, they come out puzzled and they say, well, where's the lamb? And that's the exact question you're supposed to come up with right. until John the Baptist came in John uh, oh, 129 man. and said, behold, the lamb of God. Yeah, that just sends chills. It does, because the, that this is, we're talking 2,000 years before Christ and the that's whole correct. anticipation was, where is the lamb? And John the Baptist says, there's, wow. there's the lamb. Wow. That's amazing. Awesome. Yeah. Okay, so uh, we've got him carrying his own wood. He didn't break the law. Um, it's a three-day journey, if you read, a three-day journey up to Mount Moriah. Mm-hmm. So here's the thing. Was Isaac dead for three days? No. But he was, by in, in Abraham's mind, in the father's mind, in our typology here, he was as good as dead for three days because what? God gave the command at the beginning of those three days, and Abraham thought, my son's gone. My son is dead. And he takes three days to get up to this mount. Moriah, mind you, which is also where Christ was crucified. Mm-hmm. This is the same general area. Right. Um, you know, they're, they're, to narrow it down as far as the geography to the exact place and say 10 feet over here, that's very difficult. Right. But we know this is the same mountain. This is the same rise and elevation. 
Uh, so it's unbelievable that Isaac, who is the type of Christ, the, the symbol of Christ, is carrying his own wood, is dead for three days, and then um, is resurrected in the sense that, well, he's not going to die. He, he rose up off of that. He was laying, and Abraham's going to drop that into his heart. Well, he, obviously, the angel of the Lord stopped him, and what eventually happened is Isaac sat up. And so it, it, it's very much a resurrection in, in sense. And I may have skipped ahead and got to one, but it very much ties to um, ties into being dead for three days, the death and resurrection of Christ. And so... Uh, as Isaac went willingly to the altar, so Christ went willing to, will, willingly to the cross. Um, he questioned, right? So Isaac gave a question, Father, where is the, what is going on here? You know, he, he had questions, but so did Jesus. Right. And he said, you know, let this cup pass from me, if it, and let, nevertheless, let your will be done and not mine. Um, so there's similarities there. Uh, both are apparently given up or forsaken by his father. Now, we know, theologically, as you dig deeper, no. They were not. I don't. I, even when Jesus said, "My God, My God, why have you forsaken me?" That is a very deep theological thing to dig into, and that's not for for right now. Uh, but we know that ultimately He wasn't because He was resurrected. God, this was always the plan of the Trinity that the Father would send the Son uh, to die, and that by the Spirit He would draw in God. But people. He was being crushed. Yes, under at that time under, under tremendous uh, so, agony and yeah, judgment, I, all the right. sin of the world. Exactly. Absolutely. So it's it's really complex to talk about that. I'm just I get concerned about the Trinity, so I don't want to say that he was completely forsaken. Right. Um, I believe he's quoting Psalm 22 there, and he is suffering immense. Um, the wrath of God is in the sin of man is is upon him. So um, very very heavy, and and so it appeared that uh, Isaac was forsaken in that same way because Abraham's going to sacrifice him, um, but neither ever truly were. Uh, both rose from a place of death in resurrection. So that's something that I jumped into from the death, and so we've already spoken about that. Uh, but Hebrews eleven seventeen talks about how Isaac, uh, in a sense, rose from the dead. And Matthew 28, 6 talks about Christ's resurrection. We have both cases where God interposed. So we have in both cases uh, where there was an apparent death of Isaac and an actual death of Jesus that God interposed. He stopped um, Abraham from making that sacrifice, and he interposed through the resurrection um, of Jesus. And so we have God interposing in both of those cases. Um, so you saw there how the types of Isaac, you know, fulfilled in Christ were interwoven with his father. So we didn't really go and just list Abraham or just list uh, Isaac. We listed both and how that's the father and the son. Uh, but then we have two others uh, one is that Eleazar is a type of the Holy Spirit, and the other is that Rebecca is a type of Christ. Eleazar a type, was a type of the Holy Spirit, and we see that as Eleazar was a servant of Abraham, so the Holy Spirit is a servant of God. As Eleazar's mission was to go to Haran and get a bride for Isaac, so the Holy Spirit has been sent from heaven to get a bride for Christ. As Eleazar was not sent to get a bride for Isaac until after he was symbolically offered up, so the Holy Spirit was not sent to get a bride for Christ until after his death and resurrection. As Eleazar did not talk about himself, but about his master's son, so the Holy Spirit does not talk about himself, but about Christ. 
as Eleazar was urgent, so the Holy Spirit is urgent. And we see that in Genesis 24, 53 uh, through 56, and 2 Corinthians 6, verse 2. Now, the other, the other verses, if, if we don't mention them, they'll be down in the comments. And I will make sure they're down there. As Eleazar, by the precious gifts he gave Rebecca, revealed the wealth of his master Isaac, so the Holy Spirit, by his gifts, gives us a foretaste of what is in store for the bride of Christ, the church. When Eleazar got Rebecca's consent to be the bride of Christ, he himself took her back. He did not send her back while he remained with her kinfolk. So when the Holy Spirit takes us and starts working us, he continues that work until it is fully completed. Now, I like the word kinfolk because it makes me feel right at home. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Um, Sorry about that. I get, gotta, yeah, gotta be silly. Yeah, you, know, you gotta, a little bit. You, you gotta, gotta have fun when you, when you talk about the word of God with God. Um, I know God has a sense of humor. I, Every time I look in the mirror, yeah. I, <laughs> in the mirror. we have scriptural it. examples yeah. and uh, right. physical examples when exactly. we look in the mirror. When we look in the mirror, we know God has a sense of humor. So, yeah. So, yeah, we have, we've got a really good one there. And this is Eleazar. And I had heard, honestly, when I first started studying this, I had heard about Abraham and Isaac and how the father and the son. I'm like, wow, that's mm-hmm. really amazing. And it is. That's still really amazing to me. But it, it keeps carrying on. Uh, and I won't belabor every point, but just overall, even if you miss all these points, or if some of these points are kind of hmm, head scratchers, I don't know about that. Just look at it this way: you have Abraham, Isaac, and Eleazar so far, and so you have a father that is going to sac- sacrifice his son that is resurrected from that apparent sacrifice, and then after that, you have the father is sending uh, a servant to go get a bride for that son that was supposed to be sacrificed and resurrected. Right. I mean, just just the overall. So you can dig in, like we've talked about, we can dig into the details of theology and scripture and just be blown away. But just if you look at the big picture, the, here's this servant being sent out to get a bride for this son that is just like, in so many ways, just like Jesus. Mm-hmm. Okay, and so and this is what the Holy Spirit does. After Christ uh, ascended, right, we have death, we have his life, his death, his resurrection, his ascension. That wasn't the end of it, right? We read through Acts, and the Holy Spirit was sent, and we get 3,000 people in the church uh, um, you know, on the first day, on the, on the day of Pentecost. And so in that, the Holy Spirit, in, but it's not stopped. The Holy Spirit is still drawing in people from every nation, right. uh, and they are that bride of Christ. Eleazar, the servant, is still drawing that bride of Christ, which we would see uh, typologically as Rebecca. Mm-hmm. So, so it continues on. Yeah. You know, when I was reading through that, I couldn't help but think. Uh, I was thinking to myself, when was the last time I heard a message preached on L.A. L.A.'s That's my point. I don't know. I can't. I, I can't remember. So. Me neither. And that, that's what I'm saying. I've heard about Abraham Isaac, but when you, I'm like, okay, well, that's it, right? Well, no. If you look at Eleazar and Rebecca, and it, here's the thing, guys, is it goes on farther than we're going. This is just how far. We've got to dig through our Bible study and sharing things with each other. That's how far we've gotten. But we encourage you to keep digging because right. we're by no means plumbing the depths of God's Word. I wonder how many 
Christians there are out there that have never heard the name. Eliezer. Eliezer. Sure, yeah, sure. They yeah. don't probably have no idea who right. he is. Or Rebecca, so. they might remember the name, but to say, okay, well, whose wife yeah. was it? Yeah. Some Jason may not know Isaac. <laughs> now, that would be pretty bad. Yeah, they don't remember right, Isaac. Right, right. So. Christian. All right, go ahead with Rebecca. Okay, so I, I would see here that Rebecca is a type of the bride of Christ, right? So uh, here's some details that kind of point to that and show that. As Rebecca believed and yielded to the pleadings of Eleazar, who we're saying is a type of the Holy Spirit, so the church believes and yields to the pleadings of the Holy Spirit. As Rebecca was willing to separate herself from her kinsfolk for Isaac's sake, so the believer is willing to separate himself from his kinsfolk for Jesus' sake. To be continued, we will continue this conversation in the next episode and it keeps getting more and more interesting. Be sure to like and share this with your friends, and be sure to subscribe to our channel. Thanks for listening.